This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. All right, what is going on? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Austin Current. Austin, thank you for being here. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, dude. So before we dive into it, just for the listeners that might not know, will you give us a quick background on who you are and what you're up to? Yeah, so I am a trainer coach, you know, physique coach. I work with general population uh, mainly at this point, but I over my career, I've worked with uh, bodybuilders, um, physique competitors, bikini competitors, things like that. And um, I've spent the last couple of years mainly focused on the educational side of things. Uh, this year, I would say I got a lot more back to the coaching side of things while trying to sort of merge and bridge the gap between the educational side of things. And uh, this year, I've been working on a book uh, called Science oh, of Strength yeah. Training. Um, that'll be due, that'll be published, um, in April, 2021. So that'll be really cool to, to get out into the world. So that's kind of what I've been working on this year during the pandemic alongside coaching and stuff like that. Um, background in competing, uh, just for context of today's conversation, I started competing in physique, uh, bodybuilding physique, um, back in 2013 I ended up turning pro in the IFBB in 2014 uh, when I was 20. Um, I'm about to turn 27. Um, so that's been a while back now. Um, my last show was in 2016. So it's been a few years since I've competed myself, but I've definitely um, been helping out on the, the coaching side of things since then. So that's a little context on, on what I do. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. And I have to say as well, I have kind of noticed the shift in your content where very much for a long time, like you said, you were focusing more on like the education side of things and even a lot more like mindset side of things where it does seem lately you've shifted a lot back more to, okay, like here's how we execute this exercise, for example, where has that, what's kind of spurred that? The return, I'm, if you know me, um, I'm someone that's I very much like what I do. I very much sort of, I, I like the role I've sort of given myself within, within my work, within my job, within uh, the company that we've, we founded. Um, and it's given me an opportunity to sort of creatively pivot uh, to different types of content Um and also over, I started doing this, uh, we started our company, our coaching company back in uh, physique development back in 2014. Um, but I've been personal training people. Uh, I started in person in 2012, okay. 2000, early 2013. Um, and so since, I mean, I've just been sort of everywhere. I, I've, I've been coaching people. I've, uh, I've helped alongside um, you know, a successful business mentorship. I've traveled around with an education company and, uh, that's what I spent 2018 doing was just traveling the world. Um, 
across North America, Europe, um, helping educate trainers and personal trainers around the world. And, um, again, I've done some writing, I've done some presenting for some different people. And it's just one of those things that I, I get fixed on sort of a new path. It's not that I want to forget sort of my genesis of what really started to, or my catalyst of kind of what really got me into this and what really seems to help people. Um, but it's, I'm trying to sort of find the balance between how do I keep this really helpful for people, but also keep myself in it, um, for the long haul. And I think that's something that a lot of people could probably relate to is we have such a passion for this stuff, but just as anyone would know, doing something every single day, you even no no matter how much you like it, there's going to be times where you're just like, dude, I'm sick of this. I want to do something else. Um, and I've tried really hard to keep myself productive. Um, but sometimes just busy, uh, well, (laughs) not as productive. Um, that's not on purpose as much as just a byproduct of trying new things and, and trying to pivot a bit. Um, but my return to kind of bring this full circle. My return back has sort of been inspired by, I've tried so many different things over the last handful of years and kind of weaving my way in and out and, and back to what I'm, what I've always done. And I'm finding more of a groove now that I spent time away. I've, I've found a lot of um, things that I think would be helpful for people and things to to dive into. Um, and I, I think as you learn more about a subject, you start to assume other people just are on that same level uh, or the same playing field. And so you almost are like, well, I've 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 kind of been talking about this for a while. I've learned all I really think I could learn, um, at least at this point, about this subject. And you sort of just get into this trap of like, so is everyone else. You know, you kind of forget where other people are and you forget where other people have started. And you you constantly forget that every single day there's hundreds, if not thousands, you know, thousands of people across uh, the social landscape, at least, that are interested in fitness every single day that are just kind of, hey, today's the day I'm going to look up this stuff. And it's important not to forget that there's constantly people no matter what level that are always looking to learn or get into it. So I, I think that's kind of inspired me a little bit more. And um, to just to finish out that answer, I, I think what's, what's really been the catalyst of returning back to my sort of like my bread and butter content that I, I've really gotten known for and, and, and really enjoy putting out. Um, and I would other people, I, I would be categorized as sort of a specialist quote unquote in that um, was there's a lot of content and nuance um, in the 1% uh, amongst bodybuilders, amongst very advanced people who are just constantly discussing these topics, discussing the nuance of these topics. Um, and it seems like, again, that goes back to that assumption of like, well, because I'm at, I'm at this level and my, my peers are at this level and everyone I hang around are at this level, that means everyone's at this level. And so anything less than it's just, it's just not, it's not productive and it's not helpful. Um, which if we actually look at the landscape of those who go to the 99% of people that go to a gym are still 
pretty lost. They're still pretty unsure about what they're doing. Um, and if they, you know, let's say that 20% of that people are 20% of that population are pretty in the know, but there's still some topics that they're pretty confused about, or there's things that they could still learn. And so I'm, I'm really, I've taken my focus from that 1%, um, to the 99% of people. And that's given me a lot more fulfillment and sort of trajectory of, there's a lot more people I can help. And there's, there's a lot of good people helping that 1%. Um, I just, I would like to be the one who's contributing to the 99% of people who, who really do need help um, and, and need guidance. So I love that, man. And I think that like as coaches or content creators, I think it's so easy for like that perspective, like you said, to kind of almost create this imposter syndrome. Like I don't have, I know for me, I struggled with that for the longest time. I don't have any value. Like everybody already knows all of this. Everybody's already like read through the muscle and strength pyramids. Everybody's already like, and it's actually like, again, we're kind of like the rarity as far as how much we've taken time to consume, but we surround ourselves with people who like have the same experiences have learned from the same people as us. So it's very easy to forget, like you said, the other 99%, like how much just like essentially focusing on the basics, so to speak, can truly help them. So one thing I wanted to touch on from your last answer here, I'm a bit different direction than I wanted to take this, but I would love to dive in this as well. Um, and you might've already answered this a bit, but as someone that has been coaching as long as you already, you said since 2012, right? Yeah. Since I started to personal train. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then what do you think are the keys to like having so much longevity saying excited about this for so long? Because so many people like come into the industry and leave after a couple of years and just get burnt out on it. Yeah, actually I'm creating a presentation. Um, for this uh, exact topic uh, okay. to hopefully we, I can present it in September um, at, at sort of an online seminar that that'll be held, but that's still up in the air. But nonetheless, this is a topic that uh, I've spoke about numerous times and, and I look forward to speaking about in the future. Um, and that's sort of along the lines of, of creating a, how do we create a career out of this? Um, and I think it starts with managing expectations, um, and realizing the, the whole point of this, you know, we, you can make a cross reference to life in general, but the whole point of this is to sort of set goals and do your best to, you know, set long-term goals and then do your best to short the, to set short-term goals that move you towards the horizon of those long-term goals. Like you want to move in the, the general direction, you know, over your, the course of your career towards this, you know, towards these end goals that you, you kind of have. And these goals you have to realize too are going to be ever evolving and they're going to be a moving target throughout your career. And I've had numerous goals. Um, some are still hanging on, um, some are hanging on by a thread and some have completely either been accomplished and or are just not important to me anymore. And so, you know, I, I think it's important to realize that these goals will always evolve, they'll always change, and they'll always be a moving target. But it, when it comes back to it, it's really important to, to manage your expectations, set good expectations uh, to begin with, and realize that every decision you make should be made from the sense of 
this is going to be my career. This is what I want. This is what I've decided to dedicate my professional life to. Right. And understanding that that, again, that's a moving target. That's a general thing. Um, and, and you can hear from my story early on, like, and throughout, you know, this last eight years or so has been, it's been within the, you know, if you, if you ask someone from the outside and you look at the duration and kind of the content I produced and stuff that I've done, you, you would say this, you know, you've, you've always kind of stayed in the same realm of things. Like you're always kind of generally around the same thing. Um, but there's definitely been some deviations and detours along the way that have positively contributed to me ending up or landing where I am now. Um, but I would say, you know, as a whole, man, like, don't get too fixated on reaching these goals too quickly. Um, and sort of my theory on this or my hypothesis uh, about this phenomenon is, you know, why is it? And I, I recorded a podcast on my, uh, I recorded an episode on my podcast about this, but it's a shorter one. But um, why do we set lofty goals? Like, what's the point? And why do we constantly hear this? Or why does this constantly come up? And my take on it is the importance of serendipity and the importance of achieving something, achieving things throughout a process, right? So we set a long-term goal and it's not that getting to that goal and right, this is always what we hear is, you know, it's about the process. It's about the journey to the goal, right? Right. And I think that needs to be broken down one step further into it's be, it's, it's important that we focus on the process and it's important that we focus on the journey because within the process and within the journey, there are lessons and there are opportunities that happen through serendipity. So basically things that happen along the way that you otherwise would not have been asked to do or opportunities that you would never would have gotten if you never would have been on this journey to begin with. So if you never would have set that long-term goal and saw out the process and the journey of achieving that long-term goal, you never would have been able to do X, Y, and Z. And this is, I mean, this is, there's an attest to people I presented for, um, you know, sites that I've written for, um, the fact that I'm writing a a book that's going to be published, um, next year, uh, like all of these things were never, you know, they were maybe lifetime achievement goals. They were never goals that I saw happening within the next during a a pandemic, right? They're never goals that I expected to happen during such a weird time. Um, But it's because I've been able to just stick with it, stay consistent, um, keep my head in it uh, and and manage. And I'm not saying I haven't struggled with this because I definitely have over the years. And, but it, it always comes back to when I give myself time and I give myself space to think, it always comes back to what do I want from this? And my, 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 constant answer back to myself is I want this to be a career. And so I need to instill patience. I need to instill uh, a level headedness across the board that allows these things to continually evolve. It allows myself to continually pivot, but always headed towards that general horizon, right? I'm always due North. I may be Northwest North. I may be moving in a, a, a sort of a deviation of a direction. Um, but I'm always headed due north in some direction, you know, in some way, shape or form. And, you know, my hope is by the end of this, I reach, I, I get somewhere close to the horizon 
Um, but, but I have a hunch that the horizon is going to look completely different than I expect it to. Right. Okay. I love that answer, man. So it sounds like basically you're saying the, or one of my biggest takeaways from that is one thing that you are very cognizant of, or you make sure you always do is give yourself space to like get clear again on what you want. Is that true? Yeah. I think it's important to, you know, I'm very self-reflective almost to a fault sometimes, but I think introspection and self-reflection are, are two really good, uh, qualities to have. And those, those things manifest themselves typically within are really well, uh, within mindfulness, um, you know, whatever that means to you, but the sense of being able to be introspective or self-reflective upon yourself or upon your situation at any given time, um, and to act with awareness essentially is what that manifests itself to be, especially in my situation. So I think being able to take a step back, you know, whether this is a daily practice that you do for 10 to 20 minutes or, you know, you, you do, you know, once a quarter, you kind of take a step back and evaluate where, where you are. Um, but an important thing to remember is again, managing expectations and being able to objectively look at this and grade what needs to be graded and leave what needs to be left. And basically what I mean by that is when you do these evaluations, you, you do these self-reflections or you're, you're being introspective on, you know, how's this quarter gone? You know, how's the first three months of this, I guess that would be the first four months of this year. No, that'd be the first three months. Yeah. The first three months of this year. Right. Let's see. So the first three months of this year, how has it gone? And it's important that I self-reflect and I'm, I'm grading the right things. I'm grading things that, you know, am I, are my daily actions leading me to the end goal that I have by the end of the year? Right. right? Those are the things I'm grading or how, are, how's my attitude towards this? How's my, how do I show up on a daily basis? How, how are the parts of my life that are sort of contributing and feeding back to my professional life? Like, what are those things? Right. I'm not reflecting on, well, is this really my, once I set my goal, I, I think it's important to stick to a goal. Um, and that's to say I've spent a lot of time reflecting on what I want those goals to be. You know, it's not a goal that I, you know, because on Saturday I was on social media and I saw someone else that I respect wanted to achieve this. So I made that my goal, right? Right. These goals are things that I've reflected on for a while. These goals are things that are coming up into my head during sort of the dull space, uh, during the, uh, the, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The daydreaming, you know, when you're, when you're just want, your mind is wandering aimlessly, like you're daydreaming. Um, you're sort of off with the fairies as my wife would say. And, you know, these are things that just come to mind. You're like, man, they always continually show up in your mindfulness practice, your, your self-reflections of things that you really want to accomplish or really would like to do, or, you know, sort of strive towards. Um, and it's important. So when we reflect, it's important to, be, uh, basically not grade the things that don't need to be graded. So we grade the things that need to be graded in that regard. Okay. So, uh, I always say success lies in the metrics you're tracking. So we get, you know, a direct comparison is typically to like body composition or, or physique changes or, um, just overall changes within our, 
our uh, experience or our journey within fitness, right? right? So there's so many benefits to strength training. There's so many benefits to, to physical activity and fitness that extend past the, the physical, right? So there's brain health, there's cardiometabolic health. Um, there are just mental health benefits in general, uh, quality of life into to older age, um, into older adulthood, um, improved uh, disease state and in, in terms of less likelihood of getting disease. Um, you know, so there's a ton of stuff that are benefits to exercise and strength training, especially. Um, and so you're, when you, for example, like when you're working with a client, it's important to sort of have them understand, you know, what's the full scope of benefit here. Um, and also not to get too attached to like the scale weight is a great example of this, right? right. So the waist measurements, measurements all around could be changing, going down their, their pictures could be getting better but their scale weight has gone up, right? right? So they look better all around. Their, their main goal is being accomplished, but success lies in the metrics you're tracking. So if their scale weight hasn't moved, they're disappointed because they wanted their scale weight to go down. They wanted to lose six pounds, but they've gained two pounds. But when you reflect back to them, show them a picture of week one compared to week 12, let's say, they're completely different human. They look completely different. And, and you have to almost remind them like, look, Remember, here's the goals you told me you wanted to accomplish in the beginning. We have to be sure we're grading the right things. We have right. to be sure we're reflecting on the right things. And it's the same sort of thing I use within my professional career is being sure that I've set those goals and I'm being self-reflective and, and up to the point of do my daily actions reflect what those long-term goals are? Um, and am I doing things on a daily, weekly, monthly basis that are going to get me there? at the end, um, or at least in a general direction that are going to allow me to sort of pick up experience and experience the unknown, um, throughout the process of, of trying to achieve whatever goal that, that may be. I love that, man. Again, I, I couldn't agree more with all that. I know like for me personally, anytime I've, I've been coaching like what, six and a half years, not quite as long as you, but quite a while still. And I know anytime that I've gotten to start started feeling a bit burnt out on this it's always because I haven't taken that time to like get clear on why I'm doing this what I want and I'm I'm someone that naturally I like push back against that like no whatever I got other shit to do I don't need to like dive into my journal I don't need to meditate or like whatever I'll tell clients I need to answer emails and tell my clients to do that stuff but um I know for me like anytime I felt burnt out on it it's like my reasons have suddenly become like what I think my reasons for wanting this should be not like what I actually want out of this or I've even just lost clarity on that. So a lot of coaches listen to this show as well. So I'm sure that'll be super helpful for a lot of people. But anyways, man, um, I want to dive into kind of take a sharp turn here and dive into program design a little bit specifically for like the recreational bodybuilder or we could say, the gin pop bodybuilder, because you said you work with mostly gin pop athletes now, right? Uh, now. Yeah. And I work with a handful of competitors Our I would say our company works with a lot of competitors. Um, my shift has been more into, as I do take on other projects and, and writing and, um, a lot of project management within the company, uh, and, and new things that we're coming out with. Uh, I have taken a backseat to competitors. It's a little bit more strenuous on me. Right. Um, and so I do work with more gen pop now than I, than I did in the past for sure. 
Okay. Okay. Perfect. So if when we're putting together a training program, and this is going to be a very broad question, so answer as in-depth or as little as you like, but if you had somewhat of a hierarchy of importance, so like, okay, we have adherence, volume, intensity, frequency, progression, exercise selection. Do you have like your order of priorities that you want to lay out within a program? Yeah, I, I think it's important to establish the sort of the archetype of whatever program you're wanting to to do. And, and that's going to, to be directly related to the goal of that client, the timeline of that goal, um, and what conditions we have to work within or work towards that goal in. Um, so, you know, how many days, what's the main goal? What's the time allotment we have? So how many weeks or months do we have to, to complete this goal? And then what are the conditions look like? What do you, what's my training frequency able to be? Uh, what does the, the equipment we have available look like? Uh, so right now that's more pertinent than ever because, you know, as we're bringing on clients, it's important that we're asking like, Hey, are, do you have access to a full gym? Um, if yes, are you allowed to, you know, what restrictions do you have? What areas are you allowed into? Are you allowed to superset things? Are you allowed to group things together? Um, what's a standard experience now at the gym for you? Uh, sometimes there's no restrictions. Sometimes there's a bunch of restrictions. Um, I've, I've now I'm working with clients on a sort of a hybrid for some where they can get into the gym only three days a week because of restrictions and they have to spend the other two days at home. Okay. Um, so we've sort of started to bridge the gap between, okay, what are the bang for our buck things that we can do while we're at the gym that need the intensity that we need the load. Um, we need that stimulus that we can get at the gym. So what's my frequency there versus at home when I can just sort of accumulate volume, accumulate fatigue, um, in ancillary muscle groups like the shoulders, the arms or stuff like that. Um, that doesn't necessarily need the gym that where the other things do. Uh, and then, you know, are we stuck home based? Do we have equipment at home? What, what does that equipment look like? Are we body weight only? So I think it really matters what those conditions are. Um, but as a whole, I think that's probably the first thing that I'd look at is what's the goal. Uh, and then how can we start to set things up to work within the conditions that we're in? Um, and then from there, once I get that answer, so let's say for today's sake, they're able to go to the gym. Um, and there may just be a few restrictions. Uh, so if they're able to go to the gym, okay, how many days per week do we have? How much time do you like to spend at the gym? That'll sort of dictate what, uh, and then what have you been doing lately? Right. So that'll sort of dictate the stimulus that I choose or the, the split that I choose, um, and the duration of that split. Uh, so if we have four days a week, then I know I could, you know, that, that leaves open a few options. Um, in that I could do, I like to do, so if I have four days, I, I almost like to split that up into half body, uh, sort of splits, um, which isn't, you know, that's not something that I want to focus on here, but it's, it's a matter of figuring out what structure do you want? What's the program structure? And that's kind of the archetype, right? What's the, what's the overall structure we need? to fill in the time that we have at the gym frequency wise, like how many days are we going versus how much time do we get to spend in there? So if we're going four days a week, 
and this person has two hours to to basically get in their session well that opens up a lot i mean we could do a you know that's a lot of options right. but if it's four days a week and this person likes 45 minutes to get their session in all right well we got to get creative you know we have to choose like if we are going to do a strength-based or neurological-based program that usually involves longer rest periods, higher intensities, typically takes up more time, okay, then we have to be really specific with that programming. We have to be really specific on how long we're going to stay in a phase like that. Um, and that may close the door on some of that, uh, some of those phases that we otherwise would have had time for. Okay, so if they, now they only have 45 minutes, now I'm kind of limited. There's still a ton of options, but now I'm limited to, well, what, you know, what's my volume I'm working towards now um, within that sort of that, that frequency or that split I've chosen and how can we work with the conditions that we're given? What, what are the restrictions and how can we intelligently get this volume in within a 45 minute window each week that keeps them, keeps things enjoyable. It keeps it interesting um, it keeps them progress, progressing and, um, yeah. And recovering, I think is a big part of that, but I'm sure I kind of went off there. Um, redirect me and, and keep me on track here. No, that, that was super helpful. So basically we're saying here, first and foremost, what can you stick to? What realistically fits within the parameters of your time restrictions and equipment adherence, basically. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And then from there, one of the biggest themes that I see through content, like I followed you for years now at this point is always this focus on execution, which most people are focused on like, okay, is it volume or is it intensity? Whereas for you, I see a ton more just like execution, execution, execution. Why is that? Yeah. Um, so there's a interesting conversation going around currently amongst the, um, and I don't know if it's a valid conversation to really have um, or worthwhile conversation to have, but the physiotherapy, physical therapist community, uh, and sort of the strength training, um, personal training community, there's sort of this conversation around from the physiotherapy, physical therapy. Um, again, this isn't all of them, but there is a conversation going of, you know, because we haven't seen uh, exercise technique or execution research come out, um, basically stating that it does matter. That means that because it's not backed by science, it doesn't matter. Um, and I don't think that's a valid argument one, because there's a lot of things, but one of them being the most logical, which is, well, if it doesn't hurt and we know it could improve the situation of the, the client, reducing risk of injury and increasing tension on the muscle we're trying to target or muscles we're trying to target, which overall puts less stress on joints, uh, leads to less risk of injury. Um, there's less junk volume involved because they're getting more muscle. They're creating more tension in the muscle that they're trying to train. Is that a negative thing? Like, is that bad if they do that? I don't think it would be in any way. Um, so I think there's, this is a conversation that needs to be sort of met with the understanding of the limitations of science, right. understanding of the limitations of those, those studies and the, in the data collection that sort of occurs within research. Um, not saying this, these studies couldn't be performed, but there's very tight regulations in which they'd have to be. Um, 
And it's, it's, let's just say it's a very hard thing to, to research. And so because it's a hard thing to research, it doesn't mean we should just rule it out as something that's not important because, well, science can't give us what we want. So now we just throw logic and rationality out the window too. Right. And we're left with, well, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and I don't think that's the case. So a big part of execution for us, um, you know, there's the, the, the logic and rationality argument that I just sp- uh, spoke to, uh, the less risk of injury, um, which, which makes sense because if we're loading movements within our sort of, within our individual biomechanics, so our, the individual variability that we all sort of have within our structure, right? So everyone's squat's going to look different. Right. So there's not, I think what the, I think also the argument needs to come back to, we need to define what good and what bad technique is. Um, and I think there's, there's not clear definitions of what that is. So therefore, again, these arguments exist for right. and against exercise, good and bad exercise technique. Right. Um, but I think good exercise technique is something that, again, I'm not officially defining these things. I'm just saying based off of the logic that I can sort of infer is good technique comes down to positively contributing to the end goal, which is to place tension on the muscle, reduce risk of injury, um, positively impact your health, uh, you know, long-term in the short-term and in the long-term um, place a stimulus on the body that, that causes adaptation while limiting risk of injury, right. um, which sounds like good execution, which is going to look a little different for everybody, which is not a, like a, that's why, you know, there's not, you can't really just look at a squat and say, that's a bad, you know, right. that's a bad squat. Just blanket. Cause if you look at, you know, I think a great comparison to this is like, if you take my squat versus like a Lane Norton squat, right? Very, very different. Um, I would categorize both as good squats, but Lane, because he has such a short torso and long femurs, his entire body folds onto itself and it looks like he completely folds into a chair. Um, and it looks very odd, but due to his mechanics, due to his limb links, due to his, um, just overall mechanics as an individual, that's a good squat. And you, we see it sort of manifest itself into being a, a, a power lifter on a, a, a high, um, on a, on a big scale, right. You know, competing at worlds and, and whatever else. And you take mine, which I have a very long torso and very short femurs. I'm literally built to squat. I'm built to hinge at the hip. I'm built to do all these things. And so with ease, without any effort really whatsoever, I can squat and I've always been able to just squat down without much thought into it because my body just folds that way. It's really good at that. Um, and so I think that's a good example of like, we both have good technique. We have both have good form, but it's different. And so in my content, I like to just, you'll notice I'm not highlighting anything that's necessarily making my form good or bad. I'm just highlighting things that we should be able to keep in mind, um, set up cues that basically put us in a good position to execute movements. So if you're not set up well, and I always say this at the start of videos, if you're not set up well, 
you're going to be constantly fighting yourself the entire rep to either feel the muscle group you're trying to train. Um, and the, the problem comes is people, they don't focus on the setup is they focus on all the cues that they give, right? So it's, it's all these external cues or all these internal cues they need to be thinking about while they do the movement. Right. But if you're not set up right, you're going to constantly be fighting yourself the entire rep because you can't build on a poor foundation right. um, or it's very hard to build on a poor foundation. So it's all about creating that good foundation, that good setup in the beginning, um, which is why I spend half my video, which I get a lot of critiques on. Um, but I think it's important that people get it. Right. Um, and then, then we go over in, into, you know, here's some things you may be able to th think about. Here's some things that are commonly mistaken um, that you could fix by just maybe changing your setup or thinking about doing this while you're doing the movement. Um, but I think, and I spend so much time on exercise technique because <clears throat> the benefits of strength training across a lifespan are indisputable. I mean, the overall health impacts positively that it has on one's life is indisputable. And it's important that we all play the, especially as a general population, we all play. And I think bodybuilders too would agree to this if they le left their ego at the door um, is we're playing a longevity game. And so you see all those, you know, you see people at your gym that are like, you know, they're, they're really out of shape. They're in bad health. And you see, you know, maybe you see photos of them back in the day. You're like, dude, what happened? Like you were, you know, you were, you know, I, I know some people that were known back in the day who are just in terrible health now. Right. And it's because they, they probably most likely suffered an injury of some kind that left them out of the gym that got them out of shape. And then whatever life event happened, they were demotivated. They weren't, um, they weren't able to get back into the swing of things like they, they did, um, from the start, um, and whatever happened, you know, but the benefits of strength training come from a basically continuous and consistent strength, strength, strength training across a lifespan. Right. So whatever I can do on my behalf as a content creator and an educator and a coach, how do I create longevity? How do I create better results with less overall effort? How do I create more tension with less volume, with less wear and tear on the joint. And that to me all comes from better or improved exercise technique and being able to place more tension on muscles and less on our overall structure, like our joints and our, our tendons and things like that, which help reduce risk of injury and increase the stimulus with less overall effort, which to me is a worthwhile endeavor. Oh, absolutely. And I, I know even personally for the longest time, again, so much of the conversation today is about how much volume do you need? How much volume do you need? And I know for me, for the longest time, I was like, okay, whatever, my arms are growing. Okay. I need more volume. I need more volume. But I wasn't thinking about like, okay, what's my start and end point to every single rep? Is that consistent from the first rep to the last? Um, like, is my form still pristine on like these last couple reps? Whereas I know for me, like taking it back to like, okay, before I worry about, or like, okay, last week I did this way, this week I need to add some load here, add some load here. And many like newer clients that I take on, even as coaches themselves are struggling with the same thing where it's like, okay, before we worry about this, if like 
your squat is just getting a bit shittier every week or you're cutting your range of motion a little bit short every week, none of that is really going to matter. So really, I feel like this like foundation of like before we're tr- worrying about like progressing volume, if the execution isn't there in the first place, then you're not really actually going to make progress with that, right? Yeah, and I, I think a good way to think about this, and it's important that, um, you know, you could think about this in a lot of different ways, like uh, work efficiency, right? So let's say you're completely unorganized. Um, this does relate, so stick with me here. <laughs> let's let's just say you're completely unorganized as a coach, like your your entire client system is just completely unorganized. Right. Every week, you're constantly trying to track things down. You work for, you know four more hours a day than you have to because you nothing's organized nothing's in the right place you're constantly have to track things down okay let's just say that's poor technique you're sort of surviving and hanging on by a thread you're you're making progress but you're probably going to stall at some point because there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so much volume your body can handle and recover from so let's say you decide you want to improve you want to work past your prior plateau let's say of getting clients or, or working with more clients, bringing more income into your business. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to rehaul some systems. I'm going to have to go in, spend probably a week or two really focused or maybe longer really focusing in on how do I improve this system? Right? So on top of your workload, now you have to spend time reorganizing and restructuring the way you handle clients right so it would have been easier if you would have just done it from the beginning right way easier but that's not how we learn and it's typically not how things go which is fine and i'm the same way um in relation to client systems and execution same um so basically where i'm getting at here is yes you have to you have to spend time reorganizing and restructuring your, your systems you have to spend time working on technique and execution building a foundation but once you've done that, let's say you could work with, you know, in your old systems, you can only work with 15 to 20 clients in your new system. Now you're so efficient each day. You get up, you know exactly where everything is. You know your exact systems. You know exactly how your onboarding works every single time. Um, you, you know the structure. You know the sequence. You know everything that happens. And it's organized and it's, and it's consistent and it's uniform. Aside from individualizing programming and stuff like that, which is really a short amount of time relative to how much time you're spending doing stuff. Right. Um, you know, let's say now after you spent that time doing that work, now you can work with 40 clients, 50 clients, whatever it is. Right. So you've doubled the amount of clients that you can, you can work with in your system and you're doing the same amount of work each week, same hours of work each week, but you've doubled your efficiency your effectiveness similar kind of things with exercise technique um and placing tension on the right muscles using the right muscles um, building up by placing tension on those muscles we're able to then build up right we're placing more of a stimulus now there's more of an adaptation we're building more muscle we're building more strength in those tissues we're trying to to work and build up um so again there's going to be that lag period right so if it's if it's a graph, it looks to me a lot like the, um, the, the general adaptation syndrome, uh, syndrome thing, the gas chart, right. Where there's that initial stimulus that drops you past or drops you below 
your previous threshold of your, your previous baseline. But with time, you progressively improve and it kind of goes above baseline. And you're, that's kind of the, the general principle of adaptation is you're, you're working off of there's a slight reduction in performance and strength but over time, over that recovery period you're going to return to baseline. And if you've been able to adapt, you're going to go above the baseline. Right. But even within that structure, if you're working off poor technique, if you're working off unorganized systems, you're not going to go very far above the, the previous baseline. But if you take time to restructure, if you take time to build a better foundation to build upon, you're going to eventually be able to really blow past what that previous baseline was and I think you're going to surprise yourself. And that's with myself. It's with my colleagues. It's with a lot of people um, that have bought into this way of thinking and, and belief and buying into basically the, the foundation, building a better foundation to build upon. Um, you know, we've seen it. We, and it's in the anecdotal. It's in the, the response we get from clients. It's, Hey, you know, I've, I've worked with so many different coaches. I've done so many different types of programs and on paper, your guys' programs look pretty simple, but are, are, they're generally kind of the same that I've been doing throughout my career, but I just somehow feel better. Is that weird? Like, I just feel like I'm, there's less wear and tear. I, I don't feel as achy all the time. I, it seems to, I'm progressing now and it's just a little bit easier to do it. Um, I'm getting a little bit better sleep and it's, it's not about these massive things that are just like unrecognizable. Like I went from this to this and like, wow, it's all these little things that add up over time that are just incrementally improved or incrementally better. And as we know with any big thing, it's just a bunch of small things added together to create that big change. Right. So that's sort of along the lines of what it can do. Um, yeah, that's just along the same lines. It's kind of what that impact can have um, to a system. So, being able to build, you know, to be to build a, a higher skyscraper, you need a better foundation, right? So, you you never build a skyscraper off the foundation that a three story building was built built upon, right? Like you have to right. kind of restart, go back down, and prepare better for what you're trying to achieve. Right. So, yeah. No, super relatable on many accounts. I know like for me, the first time I hit like 20 online clients, I had no systems in place at all. And I remember this one week I had to have spent like 30 to 40 hours just programming. It was, it was ridiculous. Like every night I was up so late just trying to get these programs done, but I had no systems in place. So I took one night that weekend. I just straight up pulled an all nighter. All my systems were in place and yeah, that took time. But after that, I was so much more efficient. And now I can handle so many more clients or similarly, like taking it to execution within a movement. Like for me, for the longest time, I thought, okay, like squats just aren't a movement that work for me. Like I'm like uh, getting about to parallel, like, but they just, my quads never grow. I'm pushing more load. I'm pushing more load. I'm pushing more load. My back starts to hurt, but I'm just not growing. But like for me personally, I can pretty easily hit like an ass to grass squat. So if I'm looking at this from like, I want to grow my quads. And the primary like role of your quads in a squat is going to be knee flexion. Why wouldn't I drop the load, take that depth a lot lower. And like, for me, all of a sudden it's like, okay, wow. Like as simple as that seems, like I know for me personally, it was like, oh shit. Like it's <laughs> the, for the first time. Now I know we could definitely debate this. There's a saying of like, make 
the lightest load possible to those challenges possible or some, something along those lines. But for, and I know that's definitely something we could like go back and forth, but kind of like this, it's not so much about the load as like, like you said, like, can I apply more tension with less load? And now I'm distributing less fatigue to all these other areas, but I'm getting a greater stimulus to my quads, which is exactly what I wanted in the first place. So to me, at least I know that was like the first time as simple as it seemed. I was like, wow, this is like a crazy realization. Yeah, no, that's always the first step. And I, it's the same process that I went through and I spent probably a full year investing into that phase. And now if you see me train, like if you, just a second, this truck is <laughs> You're insane. Good. Um, the loudest truck on, on planet earth guaranteed. Um, so when I first started, if you saw me during this year period, when I like, let's it was back in 2015, 2016, where I was really, really investing into this execution period, right? This is when I was right. interning down in my 40. I was around those guys and I was being introduced for the first time about the importance of technique execution. Um, right. It's crossed into to functional anatomy and biomechanics. And I was really starting to piece all these things together and then it's impact on physiology and in our biochemistry and stuff like that. And so all these things were starting to make sense. And so I really invested into it. Um, and I spent a year plus investing into that phase. But if you look back at old videos or old content of mine, right, it was a lot more methodical. It was a lot more sort of like slow tempo, like really slow tempo, really trying to feel out every single movement, trying to feel out every single decision I was making. Right. And that's an investment period, right? That's something you do. And it's just like any learning, right? This happens any, with anything you're ever going to learn, right? It just sometimes you just got to get into a flow state and almost beat your head against a brick wall to, to figure something out. But once you do, it's like second nature, subconscious. And so if you would have saw me train back in 2015, 2016, you would have been like, man, it seems like you're really, I mean, every rep seems like a, a really, you know, a big experience, man. It's right. like, there's so much effort going into every single rep. And it's like, the load doesn't seem that, that large. And it's just like, why is it that challenging? Right. And there's a lot of things that I've, I've improved upon and fixed since then. And a, a, the thought process and the theory behind a lot of it's been improved and, and um, advanced. But the big thing comes is like, you've got to spend that investment time learning. Right. And now if you see me train, my, it doesn't feel like I'm doing that, but I still get, if I could put like, I, if I put a set of mine on, on social media, it's like, man, dude, like your technique is so good. Right. Well, one, I've spent five years of my life really honed in on it. But over the last couple of years, it, it really hasn't been that much of priority for me. It's just now it's subconscious. Now it's second nature. And I don't feel like I'm doing overly slow anything. I, I feel like I'm just training. Right. And I'm able to train with higher loads now than ever. And I feel like that's because I'm able to place tension on the right musculature. I'm able to place tension. Um, across a joint more evenly or, or more better distributed. Um, you know, I haven't suffered major injuries. Uh, and that's what training with really heavy loads a lot of the time. Um, and I'm just doing, I'm getting more done with less. 
And again, if you saw me train or you trained with me, I, my tempo, you know, it's not incredibly slow. It's not overly slow. It's not intentionally slow. Um, it's just a byproduct of creating a lot of tension with a lot of load. Um, and I've progressively been able to get stronger and stronger. Uh, well, again, staying safe, staying away from injury, um, doing less overall work in, in the process because there's less junk volume. There's less time spent doing unnecessary reps and, and sets and um, biting myself on that regard. But yeah, I, I've been able to accomplish more um, in less time with less effort, which to me just sounds like a lot better way of doing things. Um, and, and the thing is too, you're not going to be where people get hung up, I think. And, and I didn't quite know how to articulate this in my early days was my early content was I would get the question of like, do I have to train like this forever? Like, it's just so annoying. Like I got to go down and load and I got to be more right. thoughtful to my movement patterns. And I got to really think about putting tension here. And like, I got to do what, what's this intent thing? Like, yes, you need to invest some time into that, but like anything like driving, how hard was driving when you first started to drive? Right. It was, a, it was mind bottling how hard driving was. It's like, you've watched your parents do it your whole life. You've watched everyone else do it your whole life. You've done it on video games. You're like, you understand the concepts, but when you get behind the wheel, it's like, it's a neurologically demanding task. Like right. you just have to figure it out. And now you could, we seemingly see people read novels, put their makeup on and somehow are texting their mom while they're driving down the interstate right. and they don't, they don't wreck, you know, they don't do it. And it's just like, you learn things, you get better at things and it becomes a second nature subconscious effort. And it's a similar type of thing. Although you need high focus and high concentration within lifting, it's sort of a mind find mindfulness practice within itself. But the splitting hairs of technique, the splitting hairs of execution become second nature. Again, right. it's like learning how to drive a car and you just get better at it. Or it's like learning how to do stick shift. Like that was one of the hardest things I've had to learn how to do in my life, I swear. But once you get used to it, it's like, and I, I still don't like to do it, but right. once you learn, it's like, or I watch my brother do it or anyone who's like second, they don't even think about it. Now when they drive the automatic car, I watch my brother slam his left foot like there's a clutch, right? <laughs> it's just like, he doesn't think about it. He doesn't even, right. it's just something he does. Um, and it's a similar type of cross between learning how to just improve your technique and the importance of it. And it's not always going to be the, a labor, a laborious process. It's going to get better and it's going to get easier. Right. But I do think that if there's never been a period in your time of time in your training career where you focus very much on execution, at some point it's going to become the rate limiter and you're going to have to do that sooner rather than later in order to keep progressing. Yeah. And it's, it's easier to learn things as you're younger. And so if right. you're younger in your career and again, it's younger, yes, it's easier to think in terms of age, um, our neuroplasticity, um, is better when we're younger, but our ability to learn and, and change our brain chemistry towards improving learning is, is easier when we're young, but that doesn't mean you can't learn things as an adult. You can't learn things into older age. Um, your nervous system learning with every decision you make, every, every rep you do is, is a learning experience for your, for your nervous system. And that's why it's important to create good movement patterns, right? It's important to move properly. It's important to put yourself in a good position to succeed within whatever you're doing. But 
if you look at an investment of time, we know, again, it's important to train across a lifespan, right? The benefits you get, you could train every day, you know, obviously with good recovery and whatever else, but the general gist of you could train five days a week, hour to a day for 30 years. You get hurt when you're, let's say you're 45 years old, you stop training. You don't get to keep those benefits, right? Your muscle, your muscle will atrophy. Your bones will brittle. Your brain will decompose and degenerate because it doesn't have the continuous stimulus. It doesn't have the continuous need to adapt and stay where it is and and keep improving or fighting off disease or fighting off Alzheimer's, dementia, early onset, uh, memory disorders. Um, And same goes with your health, your fragility into older age. Um, And I'm talking about older age a lot is because we spend most of our life making, how can we improve our now? How can we improve what it's like to be a young adult, an adult. Um, but basically we're preparing ourselves to how can we stick around and have a high quality of life while having a long quantity of life. Right. And it also, it really comes back to longevity within our training experience, within our physical activity and strength training is, if not the best, one of the best overall modalities to do this. It, it challenges our flexibility. It challenges our coordination and balance. It builds up muscle and retains muscle. It retains bone. It has positive impacts on brain health. Um, and these aren't things we can say for a lot of modalities, if any other, that are as well-rounded and safe as strength training is or resistance training. So all of that being said, it's like, what things can we put into place? And how, and I, basically my point is here, with all of those things in mind, what is a month out of that experience? Right. If you're going to be training for, let's say, 50, 60 years of your life, what is a month? Like, that's equivalent to Jeff Bezos dropping a $100 bill. It's like, that means nothing. Like, right. that's like us dropping a shaving of a penny. It's like, I don't notice it. I never even knew I had that. Right. It's like, it's, it's time that you're not going to one, it's time well spent, but it's time you're not going to remember of like, man, I really hate that I was improving myself. And I, I really hate that I spent time protecting my joints and, and, you know, making my situation better for later in life. I just, no one's saying that, right. You know, it sucks to do it, but like, that's with anything, any improvements, challenging, any improvements, tough. Um, but at the end of the day, you're, you're going to be really happy that you did it. So the sooner the better, in my opinion, and the quicker you can make those adjustments and pivots and, and mindset and in sort of physical practice, the the better off you're going to be. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. And we're coming up right up here on an hour, dude. Do you have time for one more question or do you need to write? Yeah, no, I got time. Perfect. So one more thing I wanted to be sure I asked you about, how much are you considering strength curves within your exercise selection? Yeah. So if we look at resistance profiles and strength curves, um, resistance profiles look at the resistance profile of a given exercise or machine. Right. Um, so if we look at machines, there's that cam that the cable goes around that basically gives us our resistance. Um, and there's a point on all machines. Some are even, so some are at 
kind of a, a circular can, but some are, most are oblong, meaning the longest point of that shape, it's sort of, they're sort of egg shaped, if you will. Right. And when that, the cable goes around the longest part is where we get the most tension, right? So with leg extensions, typically we, we'd want it to be most challenged in the mid to short, um, or like that's, so, so that's machines, right? right? And that's, we're looking at resistance profile there or on a squat, the most tension is at the bottom of right. that profile of that movement, right? right? So that's resistance profiles. Strength curves look at the muscle itself and when that muscle can contribute the most exertion or tension and it's so the quads let's say are their strength curve or the the properties of their strength curve or the quads are strongest in their most lengthened position and a squat is loaded most in this lengthened position therefore that's a pretty evenly matched profile right? right like you're able to get down there you feel strong down there and your quads are able to exert a lot of force alongside your glutes and your adductors and stuff like that to really make that a worthwhile, like things like hack squat or leg press or anything like that, it matches up fairly well and there. Therefore you're able to exert a lot of force. Um, and so that's kind of when those things match up. But I think at the end of the day, um, it's important to be able to sort of recognize what resistance profiles are more than strength curves. Um, so where are movements most challenging or where the, where's the tension greatest in a movement and how do I create variability within my programming? So how do I train a muscle through its entire range? So throughout a program, right? It doesn't have to be every session. You know, if we're doing a, if we're training the quads, for example, like an a session, I don't have to be sure I train the quads in a lengthened mid and shortened challenge movement. Right. right. So I wouldn't necessarily have to squat and then do banded leg press and then do leg extension all in the same session. But I probably would want to make sure there's components of all three over a four to six week period because right. that means we're training or we're providing a stimulus in that part of the muscle right? So in different parts of our muscle, our nervous system innervates different parts of our muscle. So it, it sort of syncs up with, and it, we have these motor, um, these motor units that basically control certain parts of the muscle. And so depending on the challenge or where that muscle's most challenged, those motor units or that nervous system is going to fire there. And then we see that there is relative hypertrophy local to where we're challenging the muscle. So if you're constantly only squatting those motor units in your quads, depending on level of fatigue and all of that, but even relative to the, how you're challenging them, you're going to see hypertrophy in your legs, but it's going to be pretty biased and you're going to have, you're going to get weakness in other parts of your quad that, you know, if you're, again, we see this, if you're only squatting for legs you're going to see some problems maybe around the hip where you're not fully loading, right. um, like the rec fem and, and other muscle, like the psoas, like things that are crossing the hip, but also a, kind of attached to the pelvis or a part of the quads. Um, 
that like the leg extensions do a great job or our um, leg extensions are really good to, to train the rec fem there. Um, the rectus femoris, which is part of that quad that crosses the hip. Um, and again, so we need complete, we'd like to have a complete profile sort of challenge. Um, and so a lot of movements are, are a lot of movements, especially machines bias, sort of the mid range of movements. Right. Um, and so it, it, on behalf, and again, it's not important that everyone realizes this, um, but it's important that coaches and co- like creators of programs and stuff like this um, do understand it to the degree where they're challenging their client without them even knowing, right? So, you know, they're ch- in, a, in a leg day, they're challenging or within their programming of legs over the duration of their pro like four to six weeks without the client really knowing I'm working on challenging them, their quads or their legs in a, a lengthened position. Um, whether that's so their quads and hamstrings will say over the duration of four to six weeks, I'm, I'm focused on challenging those muscles in a lengthened position, a mid range and a shortened position. Um, and making sure that I'm, I'm doing this without really the client knowing. And that's where we see a lot of that feedback with like, I mean, I, I just feel good. Like I feel strong, you know, they, they feel strong in the extremes. So typically where like at the end of an RDL, like when the hamstrings are, are really lengthened, um, or the, yeah, the hamstrings would be really lengthened. Typically we see, maybe see some weakness there or like in a lying leg curl when the, the hamstrings are fully shortened, there's some weakness where you can't, you're not as strong as you are through that first 50% of the range of motion. But you get to a point where now we're using the whole muscle. Now we're growing the whole muscle. Now we're sort of connecting with the entire muscle. And we're challenging it. We're placing stimulus on the, the entirety of that muscle, the entirety of that range of motion. And I think it's important for practitioners, coaches, um, trainers, people who are putting out programming and, and helping others with their stuff, that there is a level of thought you give to that. Right. And there, I often allude to this, um, with talking about programming redundancy. So people, you'll see it too, if they don't quite understand resistance profiles or or how muscles are challenged in different movements, their leg days will look like, um, they'll squat, they'll leg press, they'll split squat, they'll lunge and they'll do something else. Right. Maybe, but that's, that's a lot of lengthened loaded things. That's all of those movements are loaded in the lengthened position. Right. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of hard work. That's a lot of wear and tear. And that's just a lot of load on that part of a part of the range where there's definitely overlap with the mid range, but the short, the shortened range of the range of motion for that muscle group is pretty untouched. Like there's a lot untapped there. And there's, there's going to be a lot of instability that, that could potentially happen at the joint where there are, there are weaknesses. Um, and if you do that long enough, you know, you, you definitely see imbalances. You see injuries occur. You see, especially overuse injuries, um, like tendonitis, tendinosis, overall tendinopathy within a joint. Right. Um, you know, you would see a lot of overuse wear and tear if there's sort of an overabundance of, of loading up to one degree of something and not the other. Right. Um, and so I, I speak, I do speak a lot to redundancy in programming. And so I'd rather someone do 
I'd rather someone focus on, well, I know I need to, you know, for each muscle group. So for, if you're training legs, you're, you're focused on training quads and hamstrings same day. Awesome. Well, one, we always kind of also have to kind of look out for how much are we loading the spine because you can only load the spine so much too, because there's a lot there and you don't want to, you always want to work to protect the spine because the spine is injured. One, we could either become paralyzed and or cease to exist if something really catastrophic happens. Um, because that's where all our connectivity to our brain is, which our brain keeps us going. So we want to keep that relationship good. Um, and so, you know, I'm worked, I would work to how can I challenge the quads in a lengthened position and a shortened position and same with the hamstrings. Right. Okay. Well, I could do, you know, maybe a squat. So you're challenging the quads, glutes, hamstrings are getting a little bit, um, from a stability standpoint, it's helping stabilize the knee and the pelvis. Um, all right. Then I go into a leg extension, which is training the quads in a short Right. You know, and then you could go into like a dumbbell RDL, which changed the hamstrings in a lengthened state, um, or lengthened position. And then a lying leg curl, which challenges them in the short. And like, that's a full leg day. That would be a really well balanced and you're always going to get some overlap in the mid range. Right. Um, and that'd be a really balanced day for legs and maybe hits, you know, hopefully you're going to hit some calves there at some point in your week, but like especially for, for stabilization of the knee, um, if not for needed growth. Um, right. So even if you're not obsessed with like getting your calves bigger, it's important that you have strength and stability within your calf because it's, it's such a large knee stabilizer. Um, right. so it's important you have strength and stability there, but yeah, I could go forever on that, but I, I think it's important. Um, and I, I think it's important that coaches and practitioners and trainers at least understand the basis of it um and don't overload their clients without them knowing to you know without them having to know but basically you just this is how you set your client up for success long term you know keep them away from injury uh keep them progressing feeling good wanting to keep you saying motivated to go to the gym which is probably one of the hardest things we have to do um, especially with general population people but even some competitors get burnt out um from this process so yeah that very thorough breakdown man i'm sure that everybody listening will take a ton from that i feel like i don't i don't have anything to add to that that was great um again i've taken up a lot of your time here brother so i want to let you go here but before i do we just tell people where they can find you and anything at all you'd like to plug yeah so you could check us out at physiquedevelopment.com that's our coaching company a lot of free content there. Um, I would say our YouTube is a really great resource. Uh, basically, physique development uh, YouTube channel. Um, we've put a lot of work in basically to not only create content that helps our clients um, and helps attract some business as well, but it's honestly just a resource for anyone to go and learn. Um, right. I'm releasing a series over there's a lot of the videos already up there on, on chess and I'm starting to release the shoulder anatomy one. Um, but there's a lot of content on kind of functional anatomy and biomechanics, muscle actions. Um, you know, that's for anyone really who's interested in, in function, you know, in, a, in anatomy and how it translates into to exercise or strength training. Um, and then, you know, we have a ever evolving execution library of full tutorials on, sort of like these 
five to 10 minute dissertations on exercises where you right. can learn everything you'd want to know on how to execute something or common mistakes or setup cues or whatever. Um, so that's all on our YouTube. Um, and then you can find me. I usually hang out on Instagram. Uh, I try to hang out there less, but it's a very addicting app. So we all spend too much time on there. Um, and that's just my name, Austin Current. Uh, typically, you can just search, start type in Austin and the guy with the beard pops up pretty quick and you just pick that one. Perfect. I will link all that up in the show notes. Again, thank you for being here, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much.